If you're able to remain, remain standing just for a bit longer, please do so. Either way, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Thank you guys for leading us again this morning. We're grateful for how you serve us and how you use your skills to help us to sing praises to God. Exodus chapter 20, it's on page 61 if you'd like to simply grab a Bible from the church, from the church pew in front of you. Otherwise, Exodus 20, we're just going to read verse 13 and spend our time together looking at this sixth word. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. You shall not murder. You may be seated. (laughs) Father, we do chuckle at how we make complex what you make clear and simple. Father, we're thankful that we have your holy word. There's no word like your word. We count it as a treasure. How would we, how would we figure things out without your word? How would we know your will, your good will, your moral will without your word? But that you have given us this word, Father, we are grateful. Our prayer is that now by the same Holy Spirit who superintended Moses to write these words, that you would now, by that same Spirit, operate in our midst, in our hearts. Teach us. Cause us to be people who reflect the very spirit of these words that we've just read. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. While we're looking at these Ten Commandments, the Ten Words from God, a a commandment at a time, I would remind us that these words are not instructions on how you and I earn a relationship with God. These are words that God gave to a people whom He had redeemed and rescued and brought into relationship with Himself. These are words... Uh, of instruction as the father would have with his son as to how to live. A bit of the will of our father in heaven is found in these words. And as we now look at this sixth word, the sixth commandment, I want to do that revolved around two things. First of all, we want to get some understanding of this sixth word And then we want to figure out some ways to practice this sixth word. Now, before we dive into the particulars of this sixth word, I would just note where we're at in the structure of the Ten Commandments. Commandments 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 pertain to life with people around us. A life in society, if you would. Uh, how we are to love our neighbor well. These words are not mere social constructs. In other words, these are not merely ideas uh, that have been created uh, by people and accepted by people and therefore valid. Life on this planet is more than a 
mere social contract in which the prevailing winds of editable social constructs come and go. So that one moment this is right, and the next moment this is wrong, and then the next moment again it's, it's right. No life is lived before the presence of God who provides a moral order in which we are required to live. It's okay because it's a good life to live. We are required to live and, and into which we will be called to give an account for how we have lived. Life comes from God. Life is sustained by God. Life finds its meaning in God. And life returns back to God. So when we come to the sixth word, murder is no mere social construct. Governments don't get to determine if it is right or wrong to murder. They try. In fact, even a casual survey of the 20th century up to today have, have shown the uh, tens of millions of people killed in the hands of government regimes. Such numbers are appalling and staggering. Governments cultivating cultures of death. Death just based upon one's ethnicity or one's disability or one's age or one's desirability. But that is the world you get when you decide to make up your own morality on your own. It's a horrible world. And against such backdrop, we find two holy words from God. No murder. That's, that's literally what Moses has brought to us. That's literally what the Lord is saying to us today. Commands 6, 7, and 8 are just two words apiece. The word no, and then whatever the word is. Uh, so, no murder, no adultery, no stealing. No explanations like we found in commands 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. No elaborations. Just a simple word, don't. Now that nevertheless begs a word of clarification and a word of definition. In other words, we want to better understand the sixth word. And we want to do that, I want to do that it, it, by exploring three things quickly. First, what is murder? Second, why is murder prohibited? And then third, what is the positive requirement that is joined to the prohibition against murder? What is murder? It's interesting, the, the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, which is giving us the foundation for these things, um, the Old Testament 
differentiates two words. This is why it's so important that we have a high view of Scripture. It's not merely the concepts of Scripture. It's the very words of Scripture that, that, are, that are given to us by God and inspired by God. And so we lean carefully into the very words. And I say that when it comes to this one because um, the Old Testament differentiates between murder and killing. Now, let me kind of unpack that even further, if you would. First of all, what is murder? Murder is the unlawful, and I say unlawful according to God's ordinances, just because a governmental regime might allow for and even encourage and perpetrate murder, doesn't make it right, but murder is the unlawful taking of a human life. And what I mean by human life in that sense is what we might call an innocent, a legally innocent life. And there's a range in the Old Testament as to what is classified as murder. Of course, the obvious one would just be the uh, cold-blooded, premeditated murder. But premeditated, intentional murder is not the only kind of murder uh, that is that's found as forbidden in the Old Covenant. Uh, unpremeditated, intentional murder is also prohibited. That is what we might call volunt voluntary manslaughter, um, reckless homicide. In other words, unpremeditated, involuntary murder is also forbidden in the Scripture. And even, even, and this has to be discerned in a case-by-case -case basis, but what we would today call negligent homicide, involuntary murder, is, is also classified as murder and forbidden. If, if the necessary, uh, or if adequate precautions were not taken, reasonable precautions, and those were weighed out on a case-by-case -case basis. So, so everything from um, cold-blooded, premeditated, uh, intentional murder to um, uh, what we might call accidental homicide, uh, negligent homicide, can be found within the parameters of what the Scripture is forbidding here in terms of no murder. Now, the penalties ranged differently uh, in these categories. Um, in, in some cases, the, depending on which end of the spectrum that murder was uh, determined to be, it could be a fine or a restitution, financial or something of that nature. It could be the, a banishment, such as in the Old Testament, the cities of, of refuge. It could be a, a ceremonial cleansing at the temple, or it could be the forfeiture of life. Now, what's not specifically labeled murder in the Old Testament, what is labeled killing instead of murder, and, and by differentiating those, I don't mean that every form of killing is uh, acceptable, uh, but, but it just means that the Scripture differentiates these terms for us. Um, uh, murder is never the term used in the Old Testament for the killing of an animal. That, that doesn't mean the Old Testament uh, condones animal cruelty. It just means that 
Murder is not what you do to an animal. Murder is what you do to a person. There's a, there's a big biblical categorical difference between animals and people. Um, it, is, um, it is not normally used. Uh, murder is not the word normally used for the killing in a war. Now, again, that requires qualifications. Uh, I, I think it assumes that it's a just war. And, of course, th- that's a complicated thing to sort out and to understand. Um, uh, it is not, murder is not the word used uh, for judicial, legal executions. God has ordained uh, government uh, to wield the sword. Um, Again, that begs the question um, that we certainly are, if we're concerned about fairness and justice, we certainly want to make sure that the, the person condemned to the death penalty uh, has had a, a fair shake, and that, that's easier to talk about than it is to sort out. We want to make sure that we would have to bend over backwards to make sure that's a fair trial. It's not prejudiced. It is not used, murder is not used in the Old Testament to describe uh, um, accidental deaths, and, and yet even that is qualifications. In other words, uh, there's a category of an accidental death, and there's a category of negligent homicide, and, and those have to get sorted out. The, 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 the leaders, the judges would, would hear the thing and render a verdict uh, uh, as, as to whether it was an accidental death or whether it was just a, a negligent homicide. So in other words... Um, um, it, it, murder could be used to describe death through carelessness or negligence. And yet there's another category of a killing, which is something short of being labeled as murder that was accidental. And another uh, ca- uh, category is uh, murder is not the word used uh, for killing in self-defense in the Old Testament. Again, and that is with qualifications, though. Again, it, was, it had to be sorted out, and the case had to be heard and deciphered to determine on whether or not that killing in self-defense was um, valid or not. Well, why is murder prohibited? Why does the Scripture uh, tell us no murder? I think the best way to put our mind around that is to understand that God, no man, no government, no cultural entity, but God. God and God alone is the Lord of life. God and God alone is the giver of life. And in particular, when it comes to mankind, God made man in His image So, for instance, in Genesis 9, verse 6, after Noah gets off the boat, there's a covenant that God made with humanity at that moment. And he says this to Noah in covenant, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed. And then he explains why that is. He says, for man... I mean, for God made man in his own image. All human people, all human beings belong to God. And it is God's prerogative to give life and to take life. 
And we have no authorization to take life without his approval. Whether that be to take our own life or to take someone else's life. Our respect for life is to reflect the very reverence owed to God. A third thing, just in the category of understanding um, this sixth word. What is the positive requirement behind the sixth word? In other words, the sixth word is stated in a negative. No murder. Okay, that's what you want us to not do. What do you want us to do? For at its deepest intent, commands 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, the, the, the deepest intent behind these commands to other people is what is found in Jesus' summary of these words, and that is we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And if loving our neighbor as ourself is the true intent behind the sixth command, then certainly that entails more than just simply forbidding something. My obligation towards you is, is deeper than I won't kill you. There, do you feel the love? I'm not trying to be funny about that, um, it, but... I'm just trying to make the point that there's more at play here. There's more to grapple with. There's more to consider uh, than simply the negation of this command, even though the command comes to us in the negative. Um, What is the real intent, the real design behind this? Well, that we would be the kind of people who live to protect life. We would be the kind of people who would live to preserve life. We would be the kind of people who live to promote life. We, we would celebrate life. It's a good thing life is. And surrounding these and supporting these notions of protecting and preserving and promoting is, is the is in a sense the underbelly of that, and that is that, that, that we would be people who know a thing or two about the practice of love. That we would, not just as empty concepts, protect, preserve, and promote life, but that we would protect and preserve and promote life because we love people who have been given life. Listen to how the Apostle John, I think, helps us to fill out um, uh, the, the simple instructions, do not murder. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, hear this. We know that we have passed out of death to life. Interesting, he's talking about comparing the realms of our existence. We know we have passed out of the realm of death into the realm of life. Well, how do we know that? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love, he says, abides in death. And then he says this. 
whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Now, we're going to come back to this notion in a minute when we apply some of Jesus' words to the sixth word this morning. But whoever hates his brother is a murderer. That's a, that's a tremendous pivot or shift there. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, speaking of Jesus, and then he connects the dots, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Several points I just want to extract just briefly from this passage in 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, as it pertains to um, understanding the, the, the positive requirement to the sixth word. And that is, first of all, the first point is that hatred and anger underlies murder. So that what he begins to equate here is haters are murderers. See, I've never murdered anybody in my life. You know that person whom you hate that doesn't dress like you do? They, they are of a different ethnic background than, than you are. They, they are of a different uh, generational complexity than you are. Yeah, I hate them. You're a murderer. You know that, that person who went to that high school? If you're in St. Louis, you get the, you get the point of that. But. You know that person who's from that social economic background? See, all of a sudden, uh, this, 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 this one command that, we, that some of us might think, whoo, I got off the hook this morning, all of a sudden it flattens us. The other thing I think John tries to underscore to us is that being a hater slash murderer really reveals what realm of life we live in. Do we live in the realm of life or do we live in the realm of death? And it underscores how when Christ laid down his life, we get transferred out of the realm of death by his grace and into the realm of life so that that hatred dissolves Love emerges so that now you and I can, can begin to be the kind of people who dislocate hatred from our hearts and cultivate love in our hearts. And then he goes on to say that love is expressed. Love expresses itself in laying down our lives in service to others. So far from the sixth word simply being about forbidding the murder of somebody, the, the fullest intent behind this sixth word is that we would leverage our lives to, to, to even uh, place ourselves in um, uncomfortable, difficult situations for the good of serving somebody else. So it's far more than, well, I've never murdered anybody in my life. Well, how are you serving people in practical ways this week? Because he goes on in verses 17 through 18 of 1 John chapter 3. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does, the, how does God's love abide in him? And then he exhorts us, let us love 
not in talk. I think he means by talk alone, but let us love not in talk, but in word. I mean, but in deed and in truth. So the positive reinforcement behind the sixth word is not only that we would um, uh, prohibit ourselves from murdering people, but that we would cultivate an attitude, a disposition of love in our hearts that would be displayed in how we care for and serve other people. That leads us to the second point. We've looked a bit about understanding the sixth word, and now we want to spend a few moments considering the practice of the sixth word. And um, I've got more categories in this that we could, make, could, we could reasonably make our way through. Um, if I covered all of these categories, you would want to kill me. Or murder, I'm not sure. But uh, uh, yeah, except Freddie. So he loves me. So. Uh, but that means that you're on their list too now. So yeah, so to preserve your life, I'll just move quickly. So uh, my life counts for nothing, but I love you. So, but... Um, so anyway, for instance, as we think about how do we apply the sixth word, um, on the one hand, I'm just going to mention some, some issues that need to get specked out, that we need to turn to the wisdom of the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say about this. Because on the one hand, if we just operate on a conceptual level, and that is, let's be against murder, and let's be for life. On the one hand, I've, I've, really not, um, I've really not entangled ourselves in where we're living as a culture. Because when you wade into these special applications is where one's worldview begins to surface. For instance, the cultural elites of our day, they oppose killing in war, and they oppose capital punishment, but they embrace abortion and doctor-assisted suicide. And both sides pick at each other and, and say, well, you're not really pro-life. 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 And, and, and if it just resorts down to deciding things by social construct or deciding things by natural law as it's revealed in God's holy word, then we really don't have a basis to argue with each other, just a matter of opinion. But if we turn to the scriptures, if we understand God's eternal law and how that law is bore out in nature concerning this command in particular, life, and if we seek the wisdom of Scripture, then we will sort out how to think about the cultural applications that pertain to the Sixth Commandment. So, for instance, suicide or and or doctor-assisted suicide. I've got way more notes than we could go through, uh, but, but the Scriptures give us wisdom and instruction and reveal God's will to us on these matters. So end-of-life things, uh, matters of abortion, uh, these are things that the Scriptures are not silent about, that we would turn to the wisdom of Scriptures 
and to see how these matters are matters that have applicational um, uh, law pertaining to the sixth word. How you and I care for the weak and the helpless, the sick and the injured. It shouldn't be no mystery why, why it's important to us, for, among other things, that this would be a place that, in which we would pray for the sick. Because we want to be pro-life in every way the Scripture instructs us to be pro-life. We want to promote life and celebrate life and preserve life and practice life. We ought to be people who care about matters of health and safety. Whether it's the health and safety of others. For instance, there's, there's interesting insights into uh, Old Testament law uh, about if your house is negligent, negligently dangerous and as a result of that someone dies, then that's a, that, is, that is a category of murder by negligence. So it does matter if you have a, a backyard deck that's a certain height off the ground. You need to have a rail around that, not because the fastidious city code guy says so, but because you love your neighbor. Or even the stewardship of our own bodies. Even rightfully understood categories of what we call self-care are pertinent to being pro-life. We can't eliminate all risk in our lives, but we should consider what precautions we should take in regard to our own health and safety. Therefore, it matters what we eat and what we drink. It matters if we sleep or not. It matters if we exercise. It matters the kind of activity that we have. It matters how we minimize uh, risky activities. But it also involves the cultivation of our mind and our emotions. It also involves the pursuit of joy and friendships. These, these all pertain to how, how, how we cultivate life and health in, 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 our, in our lives. Instead, what I want to go to just for a couple of more moments is I want to run and, uh, to Jesus. Uh, it's always a good person to run to. But I want to run to Jesus before we're done this morning. I want to do two things. I, I, I want to, first of all, address how Jesus gives the sixth commandment its fullest meaning. And we've already touched on it by looking at First John, because John got what he got from Jesus. But, uh, but in the Sermon on the Mount... Um, we explore that true righteousness uh, takes the law of God and it internalizes it and it intensifies it. So, for instance, in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, Jesus says, You have heard it was said of old, you shall not murder. Well, we know where he found that. Uh, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Do you see what he's done? He, he, he didn't take you shall not murder and kick it out as some kind of old and antiquated construct. 
No, he brought its fullest intentional meaning by internalizing it. He takes murder from just simply a deed and he places, he locates murder in, in the heart. And he says, but what underlies the, 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 the roots of murder grow in the soil of hatred. It's cultivated through uh, the disposition of anger. So the real intent of the sixth word is not simply refraining from murder, although I do suggest that, uh, but, but it is to deal with a life that is marked by sinful anger. That bitterness, that tendency toward abusiveness, that yearning to insult, That, that, that those embers of rage. We must seriously before God relinquish and rid ourselves of those remaining dispositions that exist from the realm of death. Vengeance? It's not ours. You've been wronged? Allow God's ordination of government to take care of what it can in the meantime, but allow God's final judgment to take care of and to right every wrong in his time. You see, suddenly when we drag Jesus into this conversation, we are all murderers. There is a murderousness in each of us. And what Jesus wants us to deal with is not simply the thing at its fruit of deed, but at its root of heart posture. But he even goes further. He says in verses 23 to 24, uh, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, um, leave your gift before the altar and go first. Be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. So he takes it, he takes the sixth word even further. It's not just that, okay, I won't murder you. It's not simply refraining from murder. It's, it's not even merely restraining the vestiges of sinful anger, but it is positively the promotion and the practice of reconciliation and peacefulness. You see, do not murder is the fence line, if you would. What exists in the field, in the center of the field, for which that fence of do not murder is, is placed around? The, the center of that field which the fence surrounds is that you and I would be people who have slain anger in our hearts and, and cultivate love so that we are people who pursue peace and reconciliation. Second thing I would underscore to us, and then we'll, we'll be finished for this morning, is not simply what Jesus says in reference to the sixth word, but what Jesus did to help people like you and I in our violation of the sixth word. In the old covenant, 
when someone in an unpremeditated fashion murdered somebody, after the people of the city would hear out the case, uh, that person could flee to any number of cities throughout Israel called cities of refuge. And, and there they could live in those cities of refuge. They'd be banished, but nevertheless they would be safe. No vengeance, no retribution could come upon them. And they could safely live in that. Now, if they stepped outside the city of that, then, then all bets are off, if you would. But, but they, could, they were guaranteed their safety for that degree of murder uh, until such time as the high priest died. And when the high priest died, then that person was now free to go back to their homeland. It was a preview. Built into the law, there's continued previews that point to what Jesus would accomplish in his death on the cross. What it was pointing to is that, is that the, the murderer's guilt and punishment gets resolved through the death of the high priest. Along comes the Lord Jesus Christ who is not only a prophet, not only a king, but who is, in fact, a priest. And Jesus comes and he doesn't murder, but he allows himself to be murdered. He doesn't assault those who bear the image of God, but he restores the image of God in those who turn to him. He doesn't hurt, but he heals. He doesn't take life, but he gives life. He gives it abundantly. He doesn't oppress, but he liberates. His words, the very words of Jesus, are the words, in fact, of life. Even the hard ones that call us to repentance are words of life. Jesus was counted, we're told in Isaiah 53, as he was mocked and beaten and tortured, he was counted as among the transgressors. He was counted as though he was a thief and a murderer. But that's because Jesus came to be our substitute, to take our place. He came to lay down his life that you and I might escape death and experience life, life eternal. He came and bore up under the punishment of our sin. He came and bore up under the judgment as though he was a murderer in order to serve as a substitute for people like you and I who have failed to live the sixth word out in its truest intent. And so this morning, while each of us in that sense before a holy God have a sentence of death hanging over us, all who turn to Jesus and flee to him experience life, life eternal. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for everything you tell us in your word, not only the life that you require of us, but the eternal life 
that you provide through us, through your Son, Jesus. And we're thankful, Father, for what Christ has done in his righteous life, his perfect words, as a flawless sacrifice whom you've raised from the dead. And so now, Father, any and all this morning who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have life. And we have everything we need in this life pertaining to loving you and serving you and knowing your will. So, Father, may we depart from here, here not under the guilt of our sin, for you offered Jesus to us this morning. But may we leave here this morning, morning knowing of your love, knowing that we are well-loved children of God through faith in Jesus. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able.